Section 12 of The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Bose. The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life by Homer Eon Flint. Part 2 The Story. Chapter 7 The Going. Tis several years since last I faced this machine. Many and many a day since I said that my story was done, and placed the record on the shelf of my anteroom, my heart full of satisfaction. And today I must needs add another record, perhaps two to the pile. When I set out for the highlands, on the morn following what I last related, I took with me but two or three men. Not that I had any need for guards, but because it looketh not well for the emperor to travel without retainers, however few. Practically, I was alone. I reached the locality as the sun went down. The sky was a brilliant color. I remember it well. Darkness would come soon, though not as quickly as farther south. Commonly I think not upon such trifles, but I were nearing my love, and tender things came easily to my mind. My chariot kept to the road which lay alongside the irrigating flume, a stone trough which runs from the stone-covered hills to the dry country below. I had already noted this flume when it emptied into the basin in the valley below, for it had a new kind of a spillway affixed to it, a broad, smooth platform with a slightly upward curve over which the water was shooting. I saw no sense in the arrangement and made up my mind to ask Maka about it, for the Empire prized this trowel most highly. It ran straight and true, over expensive bridges where needed, with scarce a bend to hold back the flow. When I stopped my car outside the house, I was surprised that none should come out to greet me. Maka had sent word of my coming. All should have been in readiness. But I was forced to use my whistle. There was no stir. I became angry. I told my bullies to stay where they were, and myself burst in the door. The house was a sturdy stone affair of one floor, set against the side of the mountain a short distance above the flume. I looked about the interior in surprise, for not a soul was in sight in any of the compartments. There were signs that people had been there but a few moments before. I called it strange, for I had seen no one leave the house as I approached. At last, as I was inspecting the eating place, I noted a small door let into the outer wall. It was open, and by squeezing I managed to get through. I found that it let into a long, dark passage. I followed this, going steadily down a flight of stairs, and all of a sudden bumped into an iron grating. At the same moment I saw that the passageway made a turn just beyond and by craning my neck 
and straining my eyes, I could see a faintly lighted chamber just a few feet away. And before my eyes could scarce make out the figures of some people in the middle of the place, a voice came to my ear. Hail, Strucker, it said, and great was my astonishment when I recognized the tomes of Edam, the young dreamer whom Maka had brought to my house. Edam, I cried, what do ye here? Come and open these bars. He gave no reply, save to laugh in a way I did not like. I shook the grating savagely, so that I felt it give. Edam, I roared, open this grating at once, and tell me where is Ave? I am here, came another voice and I stopped in sheer surprise to peer closer and to see for the first time that it were really the dreamer and the chit, these two and no more, who sat there in the underground chamber. They seemed to be sitting in some sort of a box with glass windows. Ave, come here. I spoke more gently than to Edam, for my heart was soft with thoughts of her. It is thy lord Strokar, the emperor who calls thee. Come. I stay here, said she in the same clear voice, entirely unshaken by my presence. Edam hath claimed me, and I shall cleave to him. I want none of ye, ye giant. For a moment I was minded to throw my weight against the barrier, such was my rage. Then I thought better of it, and closely examined the bars. Two were loose. Ave, said I, contriving to keep my voice even, although my hands were busy with the bars as I spake. Ave, you do wrong to spite me thus. Know ye not that I am the emperor, and that these bars cannot stand before me? I warn ye. If I must call my men to help me, and to witness my shame, it will go hard with ye. Better that ye should come willingly. Ye are not for such as Edam. No, quoth the young man, speaking up for the chit. Ye are wrong, Strokar. We defy thee to do thy worst. We are prepared to flee from ye at all costs. I had twisted one of the bars out of my way without their seeing it. I strove at the next as I answered, still controlling my voice. "'Twill do ye no good to flee, Edam. Ye know that. And as for Ave, she shall wish she had never been born." "'So I should,' she replied with spirit, "'if I were to become thy woman. But know you, Strokar that Ave, the daughter of Durok, would rather die than take the name of one who had spurned her as ye did me. So I had. It had slipped my mind. But I want thee now, Ave, said I softly, preparing to slip through the opening I had made. Surely ye would not take thine own life? Nay, she answered with a laugh in her voice. Rather, I would go with Edam here. I would go, 
and she finished her voice rising in her excitement away from this horrible man's world away from it all struck her and to geos hear me to geos and but at that instant i burst through the grating without a sound i charged straight for the pair of them and without a sound they slipped away from before my grasp next second i was gazing stupidly at the rushing swirling water of the flume and i saw that they had been sitting in the cabin of a tiny boat and that they had got away there was an opening into the outer air i rushed through and stared in the growing twilight down the black furrow of the flume far in the distance and going like a streak i spied the glittering glass windows of the little craft once i made out the flutter of a saucy hand we shall get them when they reach the valley i shouted to my men then i reached for my tube and sighted it on the lower end of the flume far far below almost too far away to be clear to the naked eye in an incredibly short time the craft reached the end it travelled at an extraordinary rate perchance was weighted i marvelled that its windows could stand the force of the air and i scarce had time to fear that the twain should be destroyed on that upturned spillway before it was there and then an awesome thing happened as the boat struck the incline it shot upward into the air at a steep slant up up it went my heart jumped into my mouth for surely they must be crushed when they came down but the craft did not come down it went on and on up and up its speed scarcely slackened twas like that of a shooting star and in far less time than it takes to tell it the little boat was high up among the stars going higher every instant and farther away from me and suddenly the sweat broke cold upon my forehead for dead ahead directly in line of their travel lay the bluish-white gleam of geos so great was my rage over the escape of the dreamer with my woman at first i felt no sorrow later after days and days of search in and about the basin i came to grieve most terribly over my loss when i came home to the palace i was well-nigh ill in vain did i make the most generous of rewards the whole empire turned out to search for the missing ones but nothing came of it all yet i never ceased to hope especially after my talk with maka i he said when i questioned him it were barely possible that they have left this world for all time i have calculated the speed which their craft might have attained had it the right proportions and in truth it might have left the spillway at such a speed that it entirely overcame the draw of the ground but i think it were a slim chance it is more likely strokar that ave shall return to thee was i not the fitter man surely edam's purpose could not succeed john would not have it so 
the woman was mine because I had chosen her, and she must come back to me, and in safety, or I should tear Edom into bits. But as time went on and naught transpired, I became more and more melancholy. Life became an empty thing. It had been empty enough before I had craved the girl, but now it was empty with hopelessness. After a while, I got to thinking of some of the things Marka had told me. The more I thought of the future, the blacker it seemed. True, there were many other women, but there had been only one Ave. No such beauty had ever graced this world before, and I knew I could be happy with no other. Now I saw that all my fame had been in vain. I had lost the only woman that was fit for me, and when I died there would be naught left but my name. Even that the next emperor might blot out if he chose. It had all been in vain. It shall not be, I roared to myself as I strode about my compartment, gnawing at my hands in my misery. And in just such a fit of helpless anger, the great idea came to me, no sooner conceived than put into practice. I will not go closely into details. I will relate just the outstanding facts. What I did was to select a very tall mountain located almost on the equator and proclaimed my intention to erect a monument to John upon its summit. I caused vast quantities of materials to be brought to the place, and for a year a hundred thousand men labored to put the pieces together. When they had finished, they had made a mammoth tower partially of wood and partially of alloy. It was made in sections so that it might be placed piece upon piece, one above another high into the sky. It was an enormous task. When it was complete, I had a tower as high as the mountain itself erected upon its summit. And next, I caused section after section of the long iron pole-to-pole -pole rod which had tricked Clow to be hauled up into the tower. I was only careful to begin the process from the top and work downward. I gave word that the last three sections be inserted at midday at a given day, and at that hour I was safe inside a non-magnetic room. I know right well when the deed was done. There was a most terrific earthquake. All about me, though I could see nothing at all, I could hear buildings falling. The din was appalling. At the same time, the air was fair shattered with the rattle of the lightning. Never have I heard the like before. The rod had loosed the wrath of the forces above our air. And as suddenly, the whole deafening storm ended. Perchance, the rod was destroyed by the lightning. I never went to see. For I know the electricity split the very ground apart. But I gazed out of a window in the top of my palace and saw that I had succeeded. 
not a soul but myself remained alive. None but buildings made of the alloy were standing. Not only man, but most of his works had perished in that awful blast. I alone remained. I, Strokar, am the survivor. I, the greatest man. It were but fit that I should be the last. No man shall come after me, to honor me or not as he chooses. I, and no other, shall be the last man. And when Ave returns, as she must, though it be ages hence, when she comes, she shall find me waiting. I, Strokor, the mighty and wise, shall be here when she returns. I shall wait for her forever. Here I shall be. Here I shall always stay. The stars may move from their places, but I shall not go. For it is my intention to make use of another secret Maka taught me. In brief. Footnote. The record ends here. It may be that Strocker left the machine for some trivial reason and forgot to finish his story. At all events, it is necessary to refer to the further discoveries of the expedition in order to learn the outcome of it all. End footnote. End of section 12. Recording by Steve Bass. Website www.stevebass.net. Bass is spelt B U Y S.